McShane Bible Study, day 62, and we're starting in Exodus 14. And, and this is when the people of Israel, they've come out of Egypt, and they're, they come to the edge of the Red Sea, and they're about to cross. And God says to Moses, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. So if we think about this as a picture for us in our time, mm-hmm. we uh, coming out of the world, what, what is God's purpose? Well, it, it's so that he'll have glory. You see that? He specifically said, so that I will have glory. If, if Egypt represents the world, mm-hmm. coming out of the ways of the world, the ways of the flesh, into God's spiritual kingdom, uh, he's saying... I will get glory in this. Well, we know we become his heirs, right? We become blessed. Everything that we need is taken care of. And we know God and we live with for eternity with him. The blessings are for us. That's, that's the goodness of God. That he wants to serve us. He wants to put all that he is and all that he has in us and for us. Mm-hmm. And that's for his glory. So that the rest of creation will know how good he is. Well, that's a picture here of what God is doing. Uh, He says, I want all of Egypt and Pharaoh to see who I am. That will be my glory. But then if we skip down a little bit, verse 11 says, They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? So they're really upset. So we see that God has provided for them. He just did a ton of miracles, right? But in their hearts, they still don't trust God. You see that? Uh-huh. And they think, oh, now we're going to die. Well, why would you think you're going to die? Didn't you just see all the plagues? And so God has to work that out of them and, and have a people who trust him and believe in him. And that's what Moses says to them. 14, the Lord will fight for you. You only have, you, you have only to be silent. <laughs> He's like, just... Quit being so consumed with yourself and trust in the Lord that his way for you is better. And then watch it. I mean, can you imagine anything cooler than watching him? First of all, you got this huge cloud and fire, you know, constantly, which is pretty amazing. But then he opens up the sea on both sides. So you're walking through a wall of water. I mean, that sounds like one of the coolest things I can imagine doing, right? And Moses is saying, just watch. God is going to do this amazing thing. He is going to glorify himself. And what happens? The people end up being free, and those that are against them end up being dead, right? That's, we know that's the end conclusion for all these spirits. All, Satan and his entire kingdom of darkness, they're constantly at the attack against us. That is their fate. This is a picture of that. Do you see that? Yeah, it's a good point, Weston. The, the Samaritan was the only one that came back. He, uh, and so uh, we're in Luke 17. Um, and so we see Jesus. It's basically a picture of the, those who think that they're chosen. If they walk in that pride of life, mm-hmm. they'll be excluded. They, 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 they don't get to enter this kingdom. Well, most of this chapter is about the kingdom, right? Um, but he says, so people will surprise us. And who does come in? He wants those who seek the Lord. 
in, in one of the, where we won't talk about all the parables, but one of the parables is the unworthy servant. In verse 20, he says, So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. It's again, it's against the pride of life that we think, oh, well, now I did something that I was supposed to, so I should get a reward, right? He says, no, don't, don't be consumed with your own flesh, with your own life. Just feel like I've just done what I'm supposed to do. And I'm blessed. Everything's good. I don't need a reward for that. And then when he talks about coming of the kingdom, verse 20, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God will come, he answered, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. So it's a spiritual kingdom. It's not like what they were all expecting. A big king with a big army that you can point at and say, well, there's the kingdom. It's a spiritual reality that enters different people throughout the world and is empowered by the Spirit of the Lord, the grace of the Lord, to bring about circumstances like we just saw with the people of Israel and the water spread. Well, that's impossible. Yeah, it's impossible for human flesh. It's impossible for man. It's impossible for the laws of physics around this world, but it's not impossible for God, right? And so his kingdom is ruled by him and has different rules than the rules that our bodies are trapped in. And so the more we enter this invisible kingdom, the more we are not um, limited by the rules of this world. We become empowered by the fact that he is powerful beyond all rules. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And then 26, just so he's talking about the, what are the end times going to look like? He said, just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the son of man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. So we were just talking about this. This lines up well with Exodus. Um, this is, this has begun. You see this virus, you know, for, for, where, for where we are, this crazy snowstorm thing that's just never happened in anyone's lifetime. Um, the, the, but how have we not been protected from all these things? We have, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's great difficulty in it, and it's you know I imagine when Noah was in the ark looking at all these people drowning and dying, that that was very sad for him, right? But he had given his life to the Lord, and the Lord decided his family would be the one that was saved to start over, right? God's done this with a remnant people many, many times. The whole Bible is the history of him doing this over and over and over again. And not destroying everybody, <laughs> but choosing a remnant, judging the, the greater amount, and choosing a remnant and pulling them out and starting over with, with a fresh understanding of his eternal truths. You understand? A people that were live more unto his ways. And so when Jesus is explaining what the last days look like, he says it will be like that. Also the same with Lot and his family. He came out of Sodom, and Sodom was destroyed, but his family was saved. Do you see that? Except for his wife. So she turned back, right? He says, don't remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. 
but whoever loses his life will keep it. He says, if you keep living for your flesh, if you keep living for the world, because the world is the world is very convenient. The world is constantly trying to entertain us, to keep our mind and our heart off of God and on the world. He says, if you live for that, you will lose your life. Like Lot's wife. She's saying, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll follow you, but I, I, I missed that back thing, and she was destroyed for it, right? It's a good thing Noah's wife didn't say, yeah, I know you've been building this boat, but I, I just, I'm really, I want to go hang out with my, fam- my family over here, my parents, one more time, or my friends. No, she said, okay, we're, this is the way the Lord's leading you. This is the way we'll go. And she was saved, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus is saying, when the Lord is calling, when the Lord is moving, you have a lot of traditions that you're used to keeping. You have to be willing to turn away from that and turn to what he's doing because it will be like the days of Noah. That's what Jesus said. So that is not the religion most people have, the understanding. But that is what Jesus said. In the last uh, verses, And they said to him, Where, Lord? He said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. He says, If we're living in a dead life, a corpse. Remember, I was just talking to you. Uh... You know, our body's dying. It, it's, it's only got so many years and then it's gone. If our life is for this body, he says that's where the vultures gather. The vultures, what are the vultures? The, the, the demonic kingdom, right? That could just pick an attack at us. He says, don't live for that life. Live for me and my kingdom. <laughs> Make sense? And then we move to Job 32 and... Yeah, you're right, Weston. Uh, Elihu, Elihu, however you pronounce that, just shows up out of nowhere. And we see he's of the family of Ram, so that helps us if we want to place this a little bit in time. Um, but Who's that? Let's go look. So, I, I was wrong. I thought Ram was one of the original names presented in Genesis, but it's not pulling up on the search. It's just a name in the like clan of Judah, so that doesn't actually tell us anything. Um so, so these three men ceased to answer because they saw Job was wise in his own eyes. So they showed a little wisdom of just not arguing. If someone is set in their ways, it's foolish to argue with him, right? But then Elihu speaks up, and he's younger, so he hadn't been speaking because the rest of them are all older than him. But he realizes he has a wisdom that they don't have. And there will come a day, Weston, where you'll, you'll have to speak to people older and more established than you. That day's a long time from now. I'm not talking about anytime soon. But you will know the truth. And you, and you have to be not afraid to share that when you know you have the truth of God. So it, we have to walk in two ways. We have to walk in humility to not be puffed up with the pride of life, thinking that we have everything. But there comes a point when the Lord establishes us where we need to stand up for what's right. And so uh, Elihu is going to do that. And this whole chapter is basically him just setting up the fact that he's got something to say. So we'll see that in the next chapter. But when we get to the end, when God shows up, you're going to see that he rebukes Job and he rebukes the three, but he does not rebuke this guy. So that should kind of catch our interest tomorrow when we look at what he says. And finally, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. It's a pretty short chapter. And um, 
there's obviously something that has happened that he knows about and they know about and we don't know about. But we can learn a lot from what he's saying, how he thinks, how he lives, which is really what's important here, right? Mm -hmm. So he says in 5, Now if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely to all of you. So someone amongst them, one of the brothers there, um, part of the fellowship, part of the church, has said, has said something against Paul. And apparently he repented of that. Um, or, you know, he's, he's try, trying to live his life in a, in a good way. He's seeking forgiveness, but they're still angry. He's, he's said or done something. It doesn't sound like Paul was there. Maybe he was there when this happened, and they're still upset about it. But he says, so you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. He says, look, he's repented. He feels sorry about it. Forgive him. He, when he says, he's not done it to me, but to you. So he clearly did it to Paul, and they're upset on Paul's behalf. But do you know why he's saying he didn't do it to me? He, this, this hurt is hurting you, not me. You know why? Because Paul did, takes no pride of life in his own life. His life is in the Lord. So he says, so he said something that, that hurt my feelings. Who cares? So he said that something that hurt me, my body. Who cares? He says, that's all stuff of the world, stuff of the flesh. I don't care about these things. I am of the Lord for the Lord, and I am serving the purpose of the Lord. And this man has repented, so forgive him. Because right now, if you're living in unforgiveness towards him, it's hurting you. Because you're living in resentment of him. That's hurting you, not him. And now him, don't we want to save him? He's repented. Forgive him that he can come back into the, the presence of Christ, into the fellowship. If I have forgiven anything... Sorry, anyone who you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. Mm-hmm. See that? And then the last part is where this, I told you the chapters 3 through 5 are really good, and it starts right here in 2.14. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So he's thanking God and through Christ, this only happens through Christ. He made it possible for us. Leads us in a triumphant procession. So he's having bad things happen to him, right? They're having bad things happen to them. They're being thrown in jail. They're being stoned. They're being whipped. They're being fed to animals. Do you understand? Like they're having bad things happen to them. But how does Paul see it? He says, we are in a triumphal procession. That's like a, an, an army marching into town saying, Woohoo, we won the great victory. You see that? He says, that's what we're doing. He's not concerned with the flesh. He's, he's concerned with the reality of the kingdom that God is spreading through them. He says, this is actually what it's like. 15, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So he says, basically, the life, the kingdom that we have, it's like a smell 
to the to those who are being saved, they smell it, and it's like the most beautiful smell of, I don't know, flowers or food or whatever's the best smell you can imagine. Food, okay. He says, it's like that when we bring the kingdom to someone who has a heart to hear the message. He says, to one, a fragrance of de- of, from death to death, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. So he says, for those who don't have a heart to be saved, he says, they, they're just agitated by us. It's like death has come into the room to them. So he says, to one, we're like this wonderful fragrance of the best food. To the other, we're like the stink of dead rats, right? Mm -hmm. He says, that's the kingdom of God with us. It's a conflict or a blessing in the person that we encounter if we are truly in the Lord. Now, if that conflict never happens in our life, the fullness of the kingdom is not in us. You see that? Mm -hmm. And so... He says, who is sufficient for these things? In other words, am I so perfect? Am I so wonderful that this should be the reality of my life? Because the enemy will, will try to teach us, well, what makes you think you're so special? That you should be about this. That this is your life. You're not that special. No, we're not. We're not that special at all. But God is special. Paul says, I'm not sufficient for these things. It's not because of me. It's because of God, his purpose, his glory, his plan. And I say yes and amen to his plans. Mm -hmm. 17, for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word. You know what that means? It means one, kind of going out, someone selling something. Uh, If you you go to the store, like you go to HEB and they're giving away samples, you're like, here, take a free sample, take a free sample want to buy some tamales or whatever they're selling. <laughs> uh, he says, we're not peddlers of God's word, just trying to throw it out, trying to get people interested in a, a quick salvation he says, or quick healing or whatever, whatever the thing is. He says, no, we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity is commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. He says, we are bringing the truth of eternal kingdom life in the here and now to you, to, to people. And so this is a holy work that we are about. We take it seriously and we know the glory of God is at stake here. That's what's happening here. And we, we take that solemnly in reverence and awe because he is working in us and through us. So now he's going to get into what that looks like over the next two chapters. And, um, but that's it for now. Uh, I'll stop this recording. God bless you. God bless you.